You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Really a joy to watch everyone come in. So good morning, good morning, and welcome to all of you joining us. My name is Justin Schroeder. I'm one of the ministers at First Universalist Church. I'm delighted you're here, uh, joining us from the Twin Cities, from the state, from many other places around the country and the world. First Universalist has been a beacon of love and hope for generations. At the heart of this faith is the proclamation that each human being is whole and holy, beloved and beautiful, no exceptions, no conditions, no buts. In this faith community, we listen deeply to where love is calling us next. We welcome, affirm, and protect the light in each human heart. And we act with humility, courage, and compassion in service to justice. We do all of these things as a faith community committed to racial justice. And this is the life we are inviting you into when you journey with us. These are the spiritual muscles we are building so that we can be in solidarity in the struggle for justice. There are many ways you can connect with us. Here are just a few. You're invited to join us on Wednesdays at seven for virtual worship or Sundays at 10 o'clock for our Sunday morning worship. And if you'd like to be included in our prayers and our cycle of lifetime in each service, please reach out to Reverend Karen or any staff member. So if you are needing support, um, financial support, emotional support, spiritual support, please reach out to us. And if you'd like to be specifically included in those communal prayers, let us know. And today, today our beloved Reverend Ruth McKenzie is preaching her final sermon with us as she is retiring at the end of this month. Next Sunday, our service will really be a a final celebration of Ruth, as we say our last good goodbyes. It's a big transition, and there are big feelings in this goodbye, in a time when there are already so many big feelings. This is why taking the time for this good goodbye is so important. And I want to invite you, if you haven't done this already, to send an email or a note to Ruth to let her know how she's impacted you or touched your life or your spirit. You can also contribute a gift to Reverend Ruth, her retirement. um, We're gathering gifts for this like large retirement gift. You can send a check to the church or make an online contribution. Just note that it's for Ruth's retirement gift. So it's a big Sunday a celebration of Ruth and also a time of transition and goodbyes. So I think that means we should take a moment to settle and center ourselves, to prepare our hearts and minds for this time of worship, this time of renewal, this time of connection, this time of good goodbyes. And so I invite you to join me and taking three deep breaths as we settle into this space together. Hello, my dear friends. It is so, so exciting 
to be back in service with all of you. It's been too many weeks, and I'm glad to get to share a message with you today. So I want to tell you a story that my dad used to tell me a long, long, long time ago, over many, many years. So I hope I can do it justice. And this story is about a guy sitting at his kitchen table, reading the newspaper, enjoying a Sunday morning. And his wife comes down the stairs and says, good morning, honey. And he says, good morning, dear. And goes back to reading his paper. And she says, honey, you don't remember what day it is, do you? And he is speechless. He doesn't remember what day it is. Is it her birthday? I don't think it's her birthday. Is it Valentine's Day? I don't think it's Valentine's Day either. So he decides he's just gonna cover all of his bases and he goes out into the town and he thinks, well, I'll get some donuts. She loves donuts, so I'll just get some donuts. That's not enough though. I think we need, I think we need a whole meal. So I think I'll get some pizza too. So well, I got pizza and I got donuts. That's a pretty good day, but she needs something else. She needs, um, well, maybe I'll get her a, I'll get a rose as well. We'll get a, a beautiful rose. So there's a, a rose and a pizza and some donuts. What else could we do? Um, oh, what about some jewelry? She loves jewelry. I'll get her a beautiful new ring. So we've got jewelry and a rose and pizza and donuts something else maybe um oh how about some makeup she loves makeup i'll get her some makeup too so he's so excited and he goes home with his big stack of gifts and he decorates the entire house top to bottom streamers and balloons as much decor as he can possibly pack into the house and he tells their kids it's a very special day make sure that when mom comes home you are so so excited to see her and you say surprise along with me and they all get ready and they have their gifts ready to go and the house is immaculately decorated and mom walks in the door and they say, surprise, good day. <laughs> and the mom says, wow, thank you so much. This is the best Groundhog's Day ever. <sighs> My friends, you know that that family never forgot Groundhog's Day again, right? And not because Groundhog's Day itself was so important, but because of how they felt that day, how they all came together to celebrate that day, right? So there's a quote from the poet Maya Angelou that I hold really close to my heart. And it's one we repeat, repeat a lot when we do our church work. And that's, if I've learned that people will forget what you said, and people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Now, today is Father's Day. And you might have a mom and a dad at home. And you might have more than one dad at home. You might just have moms at home. Maybe you have your own special grown-ups that take care of you. And maybe Father's Day matters a bunch. And maybe Father's Day doesn't matter so much. But whoever takes extra special good care of you, I hope that today you can pile on a bunch of love and you can make them remember how they feel today. Now, I have an extra special grown up right here at church who's with us this morning. And she didn't raise me like a parent did, but she does fill my heart up with love oh so often. And Ruth has been a role model for me and so many other people in the church. And I know that I will never forget how Ruth has made me feel. 
So please now sit back and enjoy our very own choir's rendition of Go the Distance, directed by Randy Baikema. <laughs> to begin our time together with a poem by Mark Nepo called, For the Thousandth Time, I Want to Know. If an empty box is torn apart, the air inside still joins the rest. If an empty heart is shattered, the love inside still coats the stars. And when a dove is born, its shell is done. How much fear we know depends on whether we live as something torn apart or as the air released. How much pain turns to suffering depends on whether we live as something shattered or the love about to join. We can live as a shell waiting to crack or as a dove waking to its song. <sighs> I honestly 
don't know how to say goodbye to you today. It's hard enough just saying goodbye on a Zoom meeting or on a walk, appropriately distanced. I don't know about you, but I just want to hug somebody. Uh, it's like there's this gravitational pull that I have to actively work against in order to not seal our time that we have spent together with some form of touch. I've tried uh, putting my hands like this. I have tried uh, the air hug. I've tried the wave. It all falls pretty flat. I'll just be honest. My body longs to give and receive a good solid hug or the squeeze of a hand at the, at the least. The heart in my chest wants to feel the beating of the heart in your chest to say that we have meant something to one another, to say that something uh, tender or important has been shared between us, or simply to say that my humanity has met your humanity and we, we seal the real of that reality in an embrace with touch. But that is not the way of things today. All of us, all of us are having to cross thresholds of endings in new ways, ways that feel off somehow because we can't touch or be physically present with one another. Whether we've lost a loved one and we are not able to gather in memorial or we have sent a loved one off to a hospital and we can't be with them in some of their most trying times, or we've had an important conversation on a Zoom platform, or we're trying to say goodbye to a congregation. We're all having to navigate these endings without touch, and it's hard. So uh, this is what I have, and this is what you have, and it is not enough, and it is enough, all at the same time. So I have been thinking a lot about uh, my mother and an experience I had with one of her caregivers um, who was helping me as my mom lived some of the last days of her life this past August. I was sitting at the dining room table trying to get my mom to take a little morsel of food. And um, let's just say that was a very slow and arduous process. So uh, I had gotten out one of this scrapbook that I had made for, for my mother to remind her of her days on the farm when she was growing up or to remind her about her camping days as she just pushed the applesauce around the plate. And at one point, uh, Karen, her caregiver, came over and looked at the picture book. And what she saw was this picture that we're about to show you. I hope. Yes, there it is. Okay, so there's a picture of my young 
mother as she is graduating from college and what my mother looked like in the last month or two months of her life. And I said to Karen, isn't she beautiful? Can't you just see my young mother in my old 93 old mother's face? Can't you just see it? Doesn't she just look like a, an older version of herself? And Karen responded, nope. I looked at Karen like, what? No, no, you don't see that, that heart-shaped face in that, in that old face. You don't see those, those eyes of resolve in, that, in those old eyes or that, that determined line in her mouth, uh, in that mouth. You can't see that. Of course, I didn't say all that. I just thought it. And I, I, I just was dumbfounded that Karen couldn't see what I clearly saw. And then it just dawned on me that I saw my young mother in so many features of my old mother because I lived right alongside my young mother as she became my older mother. I, I saw, I lived with her as those heavily lidded eyes became just little cracks of light that sat on the top of her cheekbones. I lived beside her as that delicate nose became so much more pronounced as she aged and her face seemed to shrink. I lived with her through it all and Karen hadn't. All Karen saw, all she knew was that old face, this old woman who had a twinkle in her eye, who cracked some really good jokes, who expressed gratitude, who couldn't remember what age she was. She was always 100 years old. She couldn't remember what age she was or anybody's name, but all she could remember that meant so much to me was that she could remember how to hold a hand, pat it, and say, I love you. Karen loved the energy of my mother. She loved her energy, but she didn't have an, any idea of the events or experiences that shaped that energy or shaped the features of that face. I've been thinking a lot about energy, energy and experiences as I live out these last few days at First Universalist Church. I've been thinking a lot about legacy. And quite frankly, I don't believe in legacy. Not in the concretized way that we think of it usually, like some little plaque that we put on a wall that denotes that someone gave a financial gift or, or hoping that we can accomplish some incredible feat before we die so that we will be remembered through the ages. I think, 
I just don't believe in that kind of legacy. I think this conception of legacy is some kind of spiritual sleight of hand that we are playing with ourselves because we are terrified of death. If you don't believe in hell, then that certainly puts the existence of heaven into question. And that means that we have this one and only life. And we are so afraid that this one and only wild and precious life that we have will mean nothing. I got a big lesson in legacy when I began my ministry at First Universalist Church and started working with our coming of age class six years ago. For 35 years before ever beginning my work at this church, I was a freelance singer. I was uh, a playwright, I was a composer. I had toured all over the United States and many of the Nordic countries for the 20 years before I went to seminary, I was deep into theater. I lived on oatmeal for probably three weeks in the younger part of my career because I couldn't afford to eat anything else. And at the end of my career, I had three or four of my plays produced by the Guthrie and the Children's Theater. The youth didn't care. They didn't care. They, uh, it, it didn't mean anything to them. And when a, uh, an adult, not that I talked about it, but adults in the class would, would, you know, pipe up at certain times, you know, if you're having some problems with music, you might want to ask Reverend Ruth about it. You know, they'd say something like that, because you know, she's done a few things in her life. They didn't care. Here's what they cared about. They cared about energy, energy. Will my energy meet their energy? Will my passion meet their passion? Will my tenderness meet their tenderness? Will my, um, well, will I see them? That's what they cared about. Will I see them? Will I listen to them? Am I trustworthy? And I tried to live into that energy that they so sorely wanted and needed. They didn't know about all the successes and failures I'd had that led to this old face. All they knew was that there was some older white lady who got a little intense sometimes, who uh, asked them really big questions way too early in the morning. And uh, who would sit across from them in one-on-ones and ask them stuff like, what do you think the world is about? Where do you place your trust at the end of the day? What do you think faith is about? What do you think good really is? What do you think God is? What do you think grace is? The Reverend John Cummins, who served this congregation from 1963 to 1986, was a pivotal player in the universalist faith tradition, regionally and nationally. And I'm gonna bet that if you join this church within the last 10 years, you do not have a clue about who John Cummins was or anything that he did or anything that he said. At a racial justice uh, gathering, maybe eight years ago, 
I heard our beloved John Cummins talk about stuffing himself onto the floor of a sedan and covering himself over with blankets to participate in the march in Selma to Montgomery all those years back in 1965 as he joined many other clergy members, white, black, and brown, trying to make justice happen. I, I know that he counseled conscientious objectors during the Vietnam War and confronted federal officers as they tried to get into our building to arrest one of our uh, members, George Crocker, and John wouldn't let them in. He said, over my dead body. And he, they threatened violence. And he said, this is a sanctuary and you are not coming in. I know that he sheltered different folks uh, from Central America as they looked for, for refuge and resources in the Twin Cities. Now, John Cummins was not a touchy-feely guy. Let's get that straight right now. He, but he was fiercely, fiercely holding on to the affirmation that every human spirit had inherent worth and dignity, and he lived it. He lived it to the fullest of his resources, his spiritual resources. Now, if you're an old timer here at First You and had the privilege of living beside the ministry of John Cummins and collaborating with the young John Cummins as he became the old John Cummins and this community emerged as a new iteration of itself. Well then, yeah, you remember the particulars, the particulars, the facial features of this place. But the rest of us, the rest of us, all we know is that we just love this church. We just know that we are lending our energy to the energy field that is already moving and enlivening this place. I sense the energy of John Cummins and the good people of First Universalist Church from that time away when we push for racial justice, when we trust and follow Black leadership. I sense the life energy when we house a family in Justin's office for over two years. I sense the energy when we've tried to move the practice of peace from a pole that sits in our front yard to an active stance of dismantling systems of oppression that are killing every one of us and living into our values of faith that might bring about a new world order. Seth and I are on the same wavelength. Maya Angelou says it best. At the end of the day, no one will remember. No one will remember what you did or said. They will remember how you made them feel. Life aches for itself. Life aches for itself with such force and ferocity that it covers over all the particulars of any life 
the ebbs and flows, the beginnings, the endings in the blink of an eye. And yet it is the energy, the feel of a life, the feel of a place, the feel of a people, of a movement, of a time that will be remembered and that we will build upon. Energy inspires energy. Love energy inspires love energy. Justice energy inspires justice. Beauty inspires beauty. And I have to be honest here, hateful energy inspires hateful energy. That is why it is so, so very important to remain true and steadfast to the principles and values, the reaching energy for the good that has guided this place and its people through the years to work for the inherent worth and dignity of every human being, to hold fast to justice, equity, and compassion in all of our human relations, to accept and encourage one another in our spiritual growth, to remember that the thing that makes us a liberal tradition, a re liberal religious tradition, is the fact that we believe in the free and responsible search for truth, that we use democratic processes to make our way forward and to make sure that everybody is in the circle, that we want a world of shalom, a world of shalom. That means right relationship with peace, liberty, justice, and whatever is holy in this life. And we endeavor to live like everything is connected, that we commit ourselves to journey toward spiritual wholeness by working to build a diverse multicultural beloved community by our actions that accountably dismantle racism and other oppressions in ourselves and our institutions. Friends, these are, these are statements of energy. They are energetic statements and they are worthy of our lives. They are worthy of our love. They are promises that we need to hold and revisit with all seriousness and resolve. And I must bear witness that the energy of this faith community today, our energy is vibrant. It is passionate. It is promising. It is beautiful. It is clumsy sometimes, yes, and it is worthy. This is a worthy place. We are living into the moment. We are meeting the moment, and you are being led by a tremendous team of collaborative artists who are disciplined, disciplined, and I want to speak their names in this space today. Kevin Ambrose, Krista Anders, Chelsea Birch, Randy Baikema, Eric Cooperstein, Jen Crow, Liz Farmer, Brianna French, Sarah Hedge, Franco Holder, Craig Holzer, Karen Hutt, Arif Mamdani, 
Seth Metz, Ben Miles, Dan Moriarty, Emma Paskowitz, Brad Schmidt, Justin Schroeder, Richard Spratt, John Stites, Jen Stromberg, Tracy Van Epps, AJ Williams, Darren Woodson, Lauren Wyeth. There are so many, so many who are bringing their energy to this place, so many who have uh, who are living their legacy into this place called church. Our congregational care teams, our racial justice teams, our worship associates, our pastoral visitors, our visual arts teams, our artists and residents, our choir, our choir, our, our children's choir, our chalice lighters, our chalice readers, our faithful action teams, our memorial team, our sanctuary team, our religious education leaders and volunteers. Man, the list just goes on and on. There are not enough words. There are not enough poems to express the health and vibrancy of what First Universalist Church is right now. So the only thing I can think of as I leave you at this time of hurt and grief exhaustion and leverage of promise and purpose is to ask what promises do we need to make one another? What promises do we need to make to one another today? And what energies do we want to lend our life energies to? So just sit with that for a moment, would you? What promises do we need to make to one another? I've been sitting with that question for a while now. So here's the promises I'm gonna to make to all of you. I promise to follow the path of racial justice to my dying breath. I want the whole and holy of every human being to be seen and celebrated. I want people to experience a new world, a new world that I have had a glimmer of, a glimmer of when I went to Standing Rock and now that is happening at 38th in Chicago. This promise is not gonna to come to fruition if I just say I believe in it. This promise means that I actively work towards and live into this new thing that we are endeavoring to create together. So I promise my life energy to this wonderful practice, this task as any artist will tell you it is practice that, yes, it sometimes feels like work, but for the most part, it feels like life. And that's why you practice. And that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to practice and I want you to practice with me. Yes, I will make mistakes. Yes, I will stumble. I have and will many times more. But the important piece is showing up. You know, that's the important piece. I want 
I want the children and youth that I've had the privilege to serve over the course of my years at First Universalist Church to live in a different world. And I want you to help me make that world different. I want a world that's compassionate and sustainable. The more I lean into racial justice, the more I know it is soul work. It is our soul work and it makes us all better. The other promise I make to you today is I will always pay attention to beauty. Beauty is more than something that is pretty, and it is more than something that sounds good. Beauty is the holy geometry of life. When we pay attention to beauty and its varied and marvelous expressions, we bear witness to the holy in ourselves, to the holy in one another, to the holy in our creations, to the holy in the world. When we pay attention to beauty, it can act as a compass for our hearts and our communities. When we pay attention to that relationship to beauty, we may just be surprised into a new world. If an empty box is torn apart. The air inside just joins the rest. And when a dove is born, the shell is done. How much fear we know depends on whether we live as something torn apart or something released. How much pain turns to suffering depends on whether we live as something shattered or as the love about to join. Friends, no one will remember the particulars of what we have said or done, but they will remember our energy, our energy. Thank you for ordaining me. God, I hope I can talk loud enough so you can hear me. <laughs> Gosh. Thank you for ordaining me. Thank you for placing this mantle around my shoulders. Thank you for inviting me to serve this community with all the heart and spirit I could muster. Thank you for allowing my energy to join with your energy to create and recreate First Universalist Church. May each of us live individually and communally as doves waking to our song. Amen. And blessed be.
Ruth, thank you again for your ministry with us. And um, I know you've prepared something for us. And so I want to invite you to take us on a little journey. Okay, I will. Uh, friends, I'm quite good at making uh, little scrapbooks since uh, being with my mom. And so actually I made a photo scrapbook for all of you. And I, um, you know, do you have, do you, I bet, well, I don't know if this has happened to you, but it's happened to me plenty. And that is where an auntie will sit me down on a sofa and make me look at a bunch of really bad pictures. And she'll just sit me down and say, now, come on now, just take a look at this. Isn't this, isn't this nice? And you know, it's like half faces and it's blurry and I don't know, usually a head's cut off somewhere or another. And, uh, and it's, Sometimes I don't want to sit beside her and watch it, but uh, oftentimes when I do, it's so much more than the pictures. It's actually that I'm sitting beside her and, um, <laughs> and remembering how much I love her and how much she loves me. So friends, I'm going to ask you to come and uh, sit on my sofa with me. Just a minute, here we go. We're gonna go into the living room. Uh, come, come, come here. Uh, this is my house and I'm coming into the living room now. Uh-oh, I hope I don't have too much reverb there. Okay, and here I am, this is my couch. Hmm. Okay, let's sit down. You're gonna sit right here. Okay, have a seat. Okay, so this is the photo album I've made for you. And I also wanted to, oh, this, okay. It's a wonderful stole, but it's in my way right now. Okay, so uh, here we are, <sighs> nice and comfy. So um, this is a little photo I made for you. And I also wanted to sing you a song on my last day. So uh, this is a song by Elizabeth Alexander uh, that she composed uh, using the words of Hafiz. And as most of you know, I love those mystics. So here we go.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.